Thank you very much for inviting me back. It's uh, good to have fellowship with you and I echo the sentiment of uh, Boyer that it's good to dwell together in unity and, and harmony. And um, I know I'm from another church in Aberdeen, but thank you uh, for inviting me and it's, it's good to see you all. And uh, I know you're few in number. I'm relieved that it's because people are away for legitimate reasons rather than hearing it was me, which would be understandable. Um, Exodus chapter 25, please. Exodus 25. And perhaps, you know, it's a summer's day and uh, we uh, pull ourselves out of our houses and come and we know the topic is uh, the tabernacle and it's the table of showbread and it's the lampstand. And, well, there's some encouraging things in here for us. So I'm going to try and make it simple, uh, as simple as possible, mainly because... I'm a simple guy, and there's some things for, of real encouragement and uh, of devotional, in particular, uh, import that we'll try and, try and grasp. So I'd encourage you to try and follow along, and hopefully things aren't too complicated. So Exodus 25 and verse uh, 23. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a moulding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around and you shall make a gold moulding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece, and six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, uh, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its or ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches uh, of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Uh, so, obviously, identical. Uh, their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it. And they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So uh, we have the description of the table of showbread. And so we have uh, a table made of acacia wood and covered with gold, two cubits its length, 
I remember my children's uh, Bible yeah, instructing me as to the length of a cubit. So uh, two cubits its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. So not too big. Uh, and uh, it, it's overlaid with gold. So it's made of wood and it's overlaid with gold. And there's a moulding of gold uh, all around and a frame, uh, perhaps like a shelf, uh, all around this uh, table. Uh, and it's got four rings on it and it's got four, um, four sticks, four poles uh, that also will be covered with gold, which will slide through these uh, rings for the carrying of this uh, table. Because as you're aware, the children, are, the children of Israel are moving through the wilderness and they're moving towards the promised land and they have this tabernacle with them as they go. And so it's designed to be mobile. Uh, and so the poles would slide through the, uh, through the hooks, through the holders, and they will bear the table. And uh, so on top of that table, then there is showbread, 12 pieces of bread put on top of the, the table. And then we come to the lampstand. And the lampstand is one of those things we can all picture in our mind um, with one central stem and then uh, three branches coming out either side. And it's made of one beaten piece of gold. And uh, this is designed, uh, we read uh, somewhere in the passage, that it's designed to project the light. Verse 37, they shall arrange the lamps so that they give light in front of it. And so there is the, um, there is the lampstand. And it's decorated. It's decorated with uh, almond fruit and blossom and buds and almonds themselves on the lampstand itself and we'll think about that and where is this uh, so uh, uh, and this is purely all of this is is purely theoretical at, at the moment so uh, stay stay with me uh, to understand the tabernacle there's some real uh, enjoyment to be found in seeing where things are located and again we're going to come on to that uh, and I suppose last week I assume you dealt with the altar, uh, sorry, the uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. If you're going in chronological order, and so in the Tabernacle, you will remember uh, there was the Holy of Holies, in which was the Ark, and on top of it the Mercy Seat. Uh, we'll think about that, and then we come into the Holy Place, and we have the the um, altar of incense. And we have the table of showbread and we have the lampstand. And the lampstand is located opposite the table of showbread. So both of these things are opposite one another. And uh, here's the lampstand on uh, this side. Um, and on the other side, obviously, is the table of showbread. We have the altar of incense and beyond that, the holy of holies. And we're still in the holy place now. And this is enclosed by curtains around um, uh, this is for the priests to enter into and we then would proceed out of there uh, into the wider uh, into the wider area the kind of outside area where you'd have uh, the laver and the altar of sacrifice uh, so it's very interesting actually uh, to view how this is outlined in the passage so in exodus as the instructions are given by god it's interesting to see how it's described. And God starts with the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Uh, 
and he makes his way through in describing uh, through to the table of showbread and to the lampstand. And the importance is this, that as God dwells with his people, uh, there is a basis for it, which is the law encapsulated and pictured in the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that, the mercy seat. So in the mercy seat, we see God's law fulfilled, those cherubims with their wings outstretched and their faces looking down onto the mercy seat. They're looking for the blood. They're looking for a righteous means by which God can forgive sin. And here's the cherubim and they're concerned with is their blood on the mercy seat. And so God, as he looks down in the holy of holies, he sees the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and he sees the blood covering the law. Remember, the tablets of the law were in the Ark of the Covenant. And so from the eye of God, and this is important, God sees that sin is covered. He sees the transgression of the law is covered and he sees blood on the mercy seat. That blood taken in once a year on the day of atonement by the high priest. We then come into the holy place and we see the uh, table of showbread and we see the lampstand. That is the subject of consideration today. Uh, and then we, we come out further. But it's interesting to see from the hu- from humans' perspective, so from the average, uh, the average person, the average Israelite, it's interesting to see it from their perspective. So if you like, without wishing to sound irreverent, if we put ourselves in the mind of God, as outlined here, we have full visibility over the whole thing. But primarily, of primary import, We start in the Holy of Holies, as it's described here in chapter 25 or chapter 24 of Exodus. We see the Ark of the Covenant. This is God's law. This is what is important to God. Is God's law being kept? The answer is no. But on top of it, it's covered. The transgression is covered and it's covered by sacrifice. It's covered by blood. The cherubim are there and they're focused on the glory of God. They're focused on on, the, on his justice being upheld. And God sees and comes in the way it's outlined and described into the holy place. But from the average person, imagine you were in Israel. It wasn't even Israel. If imagine you were in the wilderness, you were part of the children of Israel. You're one of these tribe members and you were in the, um, you were in the wilderness there. You'd, you'd just see curtains and you'd see a gate. You'd see an entrance. Um, you'd see fire over the holy place uh, by night and smoke by day and uh, it would be a place of glory but you had no part in it yes you could come and you'd go through the gate and you would confess your sin and there'd be sacrifice but for the average Israelite for the average child of Israel as you are imagining yourself as being one of those children of Israel uh, you could come uh, but you couldn't really go beyond the altar, and you are dependent on the priests and the work of the priests. I mean, you can never go into the holy place, and, and not even the priests could go into the holy of holies, except the high priest once a year. And so uh, we come to realise that the tabernacle actually, and the law of God for the children of Israel, yes, it carried a great glory, but it carried a great fear, and, and it was exclusionary. 
Uh, there was no way that you had any part in it, in a sense, because all you could do was come to the priest with your sacrifice, with your offering and for, for sacrifice. And you would bring it to the, to, the police, to the priest and the priest would offer it. He would kill it and he'd burn it for you. Uh, whatever kind of sacrifice it was, whether it was a sacrifice of sin or of uh, praise and worship, you were dependent. You would go through that gate and you would be faced with the altar. You wouldn't see. You'd be dependent on accounts of people of, of the great high pri- of, of the high priest or what is written in the law. You'd say, oh, I wonder what's behind. Not only would you wonder really what's behind the outside curtain, you'd, you'd maybe glimpse it every time you went in and brought your offering, but you wouldn't make it past, the, past into the, the, the curtained area, the holy place. You wouldn't make it in there. You'd maybe, as you were offering your sacrifice, you'd maybe look over and see if you could glimpse in while a priest maybe went in. Maybe, I'll, I'll, you know, I've heard there's... I've heard there's amazing golden works in there. I've heard of this lampstand. I've heard of this table of showbread. I wonder what it looks like. But you'd have no part. You couldn't go in there. Much less beyond there still into the Holy of Holies. And so this tabernacle, this is a place of, um, of yeah, whilst, whilst it's a place of covering of sin, and whilst it's a place of obedience to the law in terms of bringing your sacrifice, it's a place that you, you didn't belong. You couldn't, it wasn't a place for you. It was a, pla- a, a place for the priest. Certainly, at least, that's how I see it. Uh, and I'm making this point because in this meeting, we need to come to the place. And we need to come to the point where we appreciate what Christ has done for us. And we learn all of this in the book of Hebrews in particular, whereby all of that is gone. Uh, and, and the veil is rent. At that moment when Christ died and uh, he has broken everything down and we have a new and a living way uh, and we're not dependent now on the day of atonement. It's not that we wonder what it might be like to approach God. He has made us kings and priests to God. And so the tabernacle can be viewed as something quite cold and theoretical. But to understand where we are today in our position as believers and as Christians and the privileges we enjoy, enjoy, we have to understand the thing that we had no part in. We were separated from all of this. And even if we were in there, even if we were Jewish and even if we were part of it, even then we couldn't go in. We couldn't enjoy that fellowship. We were blocked out. We were excluded unless you were a Levite and a priest. And even then the priests, they couldn't go in to the, to the most holy place. And so to understand where we are today, we have to understand just, just what the tabernacle was like. Having said that, this was a place of grace on the part of God. This is where God said, I will meet with you. And I will be amongst you and I will be your God. But it was on this basis and this basis alone. And a basis of 
strict rules. Remember that person, I forget his name, who when they were transporting the ark, the ark was going to fall and he leant out and steadied the ark and he died. He had to die. Such was the justice of God. No one was to touch this ark. These rules that God had in place, they were the basis on which he dwelt amongst his people. And so, yes, whilst there were lots of rules, it it can be considered a place of grace and mercy on the part of God, that there was a a means by which um, sins could be covered. Uh, And if we had sinned, we could go and there would be an offering for sin and there would be a sacrifice. Not only that, but there was the Day of Atonement and uh, all, all of what it speaks of. And so to understand what we've got today, we, we, need, to, we need to grasp uh, what the tabernacle meant. You know, you look at the ark and the mercy seat, that law, that blood, that justice, the propitiation for sin. Um, and the altar, uh, when you came, you brought your sacrifice and that animal that was sacrificed was sacrificed in your place. And so we have in the tabernacle, of course, propitiation on the mercy seat. This is the sacrifice that God sees. His law is covered. But when I sin, I bring my animal and it is sacrificed on the altar. That animal is my substitute. So we have substitution and propitiation. We have curtains keeping everyone out. We have the incense altar for worship prayer and intercession we have the laver for cleansing there's so much good stuff in here that as only as christians we can truly grasp you see if you look at this again from the people's perspective this was very cold and very strict there was very little warmth here uh this was a place of having to do x y and z and having to follow this set Uh, this set outline and this set pattern and my sin would be covered but this was a very cold but as Christians we come into an understanding of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us how he is our substitute he is our sacrifice and he uh, and on when we think about the mercy seat the fact that he was made sin for us and how everything's just been broken down and now there's entry and there's fellowship and that we can speak to God. The, do you know, uh, how, it's probably the thing that I most take for granted in life is this, that I can speak to God. And I can speak to God as Father. Uh, and we, we can cry, Abba, Father. I only really entered into any kind of understanding of fatherhood when I became a father. And perhaps that's my failing and perhaps that's natural. I don't know. Uh, but to have God as your father, this is an immense privilege. That we can approach him and speak to him and have fellowship with him. A- and we do it through the son. This isn't bringing animals for sacrifice, but it's through his son. Anyway, the topic is the table of showbread and the, um, the, the, the lampstand. Uh, which we must come on to. So the table of showbread, just a few simple points here. You know, the, the, the table of showbread was made of gold 
and wood. And uh, the, the, priests, the priests would only have seen the gold. Uh, interesting uh, to note. The priests, as they saw the table, they would have probably known from history that inside that gold, underneath that gold was wood, but they would only have seen the gold um, as the wood was covered. Uh, the opposite is true when Christ came into the world, isn't it? We had glimpses of his deity and of his glory. But the gold in the wood obviously speaks of Christ's deity and his divinity, his, the gold, and the wood, his humanity, his manhood. And so we have Christ uh, here pictured as gold and wood. And when Christ came, he came as a man. Uh, and uh, we saw no beauty in him, that we should desire him. But these priests, when they saw the table of showbread, they saw this glorious gold. Uh, gold and wood speaks to us of Christ as God and man. And of course, the table uh, here speaks of Christ. The point I'm going to make is that the table of showbread speaks of Christ. I'm going to elaborate that. And that the lampstand also speaks of Christ and speaks of the Holy Spirit. I think actually in the holy place we have God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We have the oil in the lampstand, which is the Holy Spirit. We have the altar of incense, which is um, ascending to God the Father. And we have the table of showbread, which is the provision made. Uh, and we have uh, uh, other elements uh, to consider. So the table of showbread was made of pure gold uh, and it was put over that acacia wood. And so we have the humanity of Christ and uh, his deity. And the table will speak to us of God's provision. Why does it speak to us of God's provision? Because on that table was bread. And bread will speak to us clearly of provision. It's a provision for our need. Remember the children of Israel, again, in the wilderness as they travelled through, the manna that was provided. And we remember Christ saying, I am the bread of life. This bread was made of fine flour. It speaks of, we don't read that here, but it speaks of the Lord's uh, perfection, that fine flour, the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the baking process that went into making, turning that flour into bread. The heat that it would endure uh, speaks eloquently of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 30, we read this, you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. And so here's God and he's looking down and he's looking to see that the pattern is being observed, uh, but he's seeing the bread on display. It's an interesting verse. You shall set the showbread on the table before me. This tells me that God is looking down, that this is primarily for the eye of God. Why? Because it would sit there I think for six days and be eaten on the seventh and God's looking down and he's seeing, he's seeing this bread. It's been baked in intense heat. It's made of fine flour. It's on a table of gold and wood and he's seeing, he's enjoying his son. He's, he's seeing his son in his, um, as God would know that he would come into the world. Obviously as God knew that Christ would come in human form. But this provision that's made, primarily in verse 30, for the eye of God before it is enjoyed by the priests. And so uh, the bread was on show for God before the priests 
ate it. And the provision that Christ availed primarily brings satisfaction to the eye of God. This is provision for our need as we look at this as Christians. We are seeing Christ as the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, we read uh, some amazing words. And actually, uh, when you think about the history of the children of Israel and the tabernacle, many things that that the Lord Jesus said um, take on a new character and can be understood more fully. And indeed, when you come to the book of Hebrews, you can understand that more fully if you understand a little bit of the background in the tabernacle. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 6. He says, um, he says, uh, do not labour, verse 27, do not labour for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you. Um, uh, He said uh, that the people said, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. Um, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, In verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. And so if you put yourself in the shoes of those who are listening to the Lord Jesus Christ, they listen with this history in their mind. They listen with the history of manna being provided in the wilderness. And they listen with the history of understanding uh, the tabernacle uh, and uh, what was laid out in the tabernacle. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I am the bread of life. So to us today, if we heard that in Aberdeen, we'd think it was quite strange. I am the bread of life. But to a Jew, it has a, 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 a deeper connotation and a deeper meaning that Christ is the provision for our need. And so we have the table of showbread, as I've said uh, Wood and gold, speaking of Christ uh, in his glory, uh, his divinity and his humanity. And on top of it, the loaves, 12 loaves laid out, the provision of God, the provision of God in the person of his son. And we remember uh, that uh, there was sufficient one loaf for each of the tribes, for each of the priests that would come in. Uh, one uh, is that true I don't know actually there would be the priests were the Levites but there were 12 loaves the point is this it represents the 12 tribes sufficient for the people outside and we see that in the Lord Jesus Christ his provision is sufficient for us a glorious truth but we come to the lampstand and opposite on the other side of the table and opposite the table was the, the, the candlestick. Like this was actually an immense uh, piece of, this was an immense ornament. We think of a lampstand as, um, uh, as, well, you can picture it in your mind, but this thing was worth $2.4 million. Uh, did the calculation this afternoon based on latest prices. Uh, 
million dollars worth of gold in this candlestick. Uh, I don't know how much all of the gold in the tabernacle would have been worth, but a lot of money. But this one piece, it was made of a tal- one piece of gold uh, worth 2.4 million, and it was beaten out of that one piece of gold. Look, this had no wood in it. This, was, this speaks of pure, divine purity, and it speaks of the character of God. This lampstand, this source of light, speaks purely of God. And that gold, that, that massive piece of gold worth so much money, was beaten into shape. The lampstand, with all its uh, intricate detail, with all these blossoms and buds and almonds and the shape of it and the symmetry and the hollowness, it's incredible. Beaten out of one piece of gold. Um, I, I really enjoyed the fact that this was beaten. Again, this speaks of Christ. His divine nature as a source of light and life. We know that Christ was beaten. We know that he was wounded for our transgressions. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was bruised for our iniquities. But not only was this piece uh, shaped out of, it was beaten into shape, uh, but it was fueled by oil. And here we see uh, the Holy Spirit shining through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, to properly grasp this, we need to again imagine the tabernacle. We have the lampstand here and opposite the table of showbread. And what does the lamp do? It illuminates across to the table of showbread. So it shines light onto that table. There was no other source of light in this place. This was an enclosed curtained room. So it was completely dark. And by the construction, I think these would rival the blackout blinds that are in Isabella's bedroom at the moment. Um, and when the door is shut in there, it's pretty dark. I can imagine this was pretty dark in the tabernacle if ever this candlestick were to go out. Uh, but this shone continually, and the source of light in that holy place was made by those that oil from beaten olives, and it shone across to the table of showbread. And so we have this divine uh, the, the, the lampstand that speaks of divine light, fueled by the Holy Spirit, fueled by oil, and shining across. We see the Holy Spirit in picture, illuminating the bread of life, illuminating Christ. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit illuminates Christ. The Holy Spirit magnifies Christ. And so we see the lampstand shining onto the table of showbread. What's the Spirit doing? It's, it's making us see and appreciate the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in his divine nature, in his human character and the provision that's made. And the priest could appreciate that table of showbread because of the light coming across to it from this lampstand. This lampstand that was pure gold. This lampstand uh, that was fueled by oil that speaks to us of the Holy Spirit. Seven branches perfect source of light, perfectly made, decorated in buds, blossoms and and almonds. This speaks of all stages of life 
And so we have this source of light and associated with it, life. We have buds, we have blossoms, and we have almonds. So all stages of a flower and, uh, and speaking to us of life associated with that light. And so therefore, we understand a bit more, do we not, the link between life and light. Uh, it would be easy for us to question that. Those aren't the same thing, are they? Light and life are not the same thing. But in the lampstand, in that source of light, we also have life on it. And of course, your mind has gone to John's Gospel. Again, John chapter 1 verse 4, straight out of the gates in John's narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, again, in John chapter 8, Jesus spoke again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so in this tabernacle, as we uh, conclude the, the message, we have elements which in our daily reading, we can very quickly go through and not take in. You can be forgiven for thinking these are cold and historical, but they speak to us in a full uh, way, in a really um, uplifting way of the Lord Jesus Christ of his character, of what God has done, of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfilment of this. Remember um, that we think at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we don't have the tabernacle anymore and we have no need for the la a lampstand and a table of showbread. Why? Because we're in the immensely privileged position of being here in this room, a group of probably all of us Gentiles, and we are recipients of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can look not on a tabernacle, not on anything made with hands, however glorious it is, however much money it's worth, but we look at Jesus Christ. He is our table of showbread. He is the provision made by God for us, he is that food that we can feed on. He, he is that lampstand, completely divine in nature, that source of life and light. Uh, and the divine nature illuminates that provision. Uh, and Jesus Christ himself uh, can be seen in the mercy seat. And Jesus Christ himself can be seen in the altar at the entrance. Uh, and the word of God can be seen as the laver. And so as Christians, we have all the elements of the tabernacle. So I really encourage you to pay attention to these meetings as they unfold, because there's so much in it for us as Christians to appreciate about the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what a privileged position we're in as Gentiles to be able to look at Christ and say he's mine, to look at him and appreciate him, to understand his glory, his golden character, to understand what the you know, what we see in here and what it tells us about how God dealt with him on the cross and about how he's our provision. 
And so hopefully it's not been too complicated uh, this evening. Hopefully it's an encouragement for us in a devotional way as we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Thank you very much for listening. I'm going to close in prayer and I don't know if you have a hymn after or whatever hymn after. Our Father, we give thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can read a passage like this and know that we are not far off. We have been brought nigh. We have been brought near by the blood of the cross. And our Father, we thank you for everything we see of the Lord Jesus Christ in the tabernacle, for his um, purity and his perfection, um, for the value that's in him. We give thanks that he is the uh, he is the light of the world, and we give thanks that he has shone into our hearts. We give thanks that he is the bread of life, and in him we have everything we need in terms of provision. Our Father, we give thanks for this privileged position that we're in, and we worship uh, you and we worship the Lord Jesus this evening as we think about these things. Our Father, encourage us this week uh, to uh, live for you more. We pray, our Father, that uh, these things would stay with us for encouragement. We pray, our Father, that you'd give us opportunities to witness for you and that we'd take them. We pray that you'd help us to be courageous and brave as we endeavour to live for the Lord Jesus Christ this week. And uh, Be with us, Father. Keep our foot from slipping and encourage us in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.